The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. What I want to do this morning in the time that we have is uh, something that's going to be on a similar theme to what I spoke about in our last service in the park last Sunday. Last Sunday, we, uh, for a few minutes, opened up to Psalm chapter 29. And in Psalm 29, the psalmist, David, he, he lists a number of things that have happened to him as a king. Things that are tough, things like having armies circling around him, things like having enemies coming after him, wanting to kill him. But then in Psalm 29, as we read through those things, and, and they're painful, brutal situations as we're reading through it, he then says, one thing I ask. One thing I ask, and then it seems a bit strange, he starts talking about the temple and going to where the glory of God dwells and gazing on the beauty of the Lord. That's what he asks. One thing, if I could do one thing, it's this, if I would be in the presence of God, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And last week, what we were talking about was how part of our intention over the month of August with the services in the park is to give us as a church time and space to slow down, but not just to slow down for slowing down's sake, to slow down with purpose. And part of that purpose is to have space and time and capacity to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Now we're gonna continue on a bit with that theme this morning from Luke chapter 10 with a very short story that we find in Luke's gospel about two women, Mary and Martha, their sisters. So we're going to read starting at verse 38 through to the end of the chapter. The words will come up on the screen here behind me. It says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Jesus, I, there's so much, I mean, everything about you is amazing, is breathtaking. Uh, but Jesus, here in these verses, uh, just the way in which you respond uh, to Mary, the way throughout the Gospels in which you interact with people, Jesus, is just such tenderness, such compassion. And Jesus, the Word of God speaks about you as the one by whom and for whom all things were created. Jesus, you, you were the active member of the Trinity in the work of creation itself. That is the power, Jesus, that you have. That is the strength that you have. And Jesus, still, that you would deal with us with such kindness and such tenderness and such compassion. Jesus, you are truly amazing. There is no one like you. Jesus, thank you that you have uh, allowed us to come and to use this space here in the center of our city where we get to stand up each Sunday here and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would not take that for granted as we kind of 
uh, start to, to re-engage going into the fall now. God, I pray that you would draw many here, that those who do not know Jesus, as they come through these doors, that they would sense something of the presence of God, that they would sense something around being around the people of God, not people who are saved because they're impressive or because they keep all the rules, but people who have been saved by grace through faith. And Jesus, that they would see you at the very center, that they would see you on the cross at the very center, that they would know that this is about you and what you have done. That is how they get to have relationship with God. So God, help us as a church, I pray. Help us to keep this, the gospel at the very middle, the very center of all that we do. God, that we would never become about performance, that we would never become about empty religion. But God, that all of our activity would be centered on Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that right now, as I go through these verses in our time this morning, Jesus, would you be seen? Would you be known? Would you be exalted? Holy Spirit, would you bring us to the place where as we prepare to go to the communion table over here at the side of the room, that we would do so, do so with an appropriate sense of reverence and awe, gazing upon the person and the work of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I pray this all for your glory in our lives, in our city, and beyond. I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, these verses, this very quick story that we have here uh, in Luke chapter 10, this takes place in a little village called Bethany. Bethany's two miles, 3.2 kilometers uh, from Jerusalem, the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. I've been able to visit Jerusalem myself. Some of you, I suspect, have as well. And if you have, you've no doubt gone into the old city and through the markets. And to this day, the market area of Jerusalem is busy. It's loud. There are loads of merchants. There are loads of people selling things to tourists. Jerusalem has always been a tourist town. It has always drawn people from outside. And in that time, it was the same. It was very busy. It was very loud. So Jesus had this town called Bethany three kilometers away from Jerusalem, that was, a, that was kind of a getaway spot for him. We read in the Gospels that it was a Sabbath day walk. So that's at a very leisurely, non-strenuous pace from Jerusalem to the southeast of Jerusalem and uh, just up, up over the Mount of Olives. Jesus would often go there when he wanted quiet, when he wanted peace, when he wanted just to enjoy time with his father. Also when he wanted to enjoy time with his friends. And it's there in Bethany, the three siblings lived, Mary, Martha's sisters, obviously, and their brother, Lazarus. Many of us know the story of Lazarus. He doesn't feature in this story here in Luke chapter 10. This one is focusing in on Mary and Martha, these two sisters. So Jesus makes his way to this town, and Mary and Martha, they are there. And we read, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Mary, Martha's sister, does what is commonplace for a disciple at that time to do. She sits at Jesus' feet as Jesus teaches, as Jesus enjoys time with others. Mary is sat there. In our culture here today, it would be peculiar. Some of you would think this is a little bit cultish if some of the people sat here came and sat right down here at my feet this morning. That would be weird in our culture. It was not weird then. That was the appropriate space. That was, to them, similar to what sitting in a, in a pew and listening to a Bible teacher today would be, except with Jesus, he's not just any Bible teacher. To them, at that time, he's a traveling rabbi. 
He's a teacher of scripture, but he's also helping them understand that he's so much more. He's saying everything that all of the other rabbis, everything that all of the other teachers of scripture have told you about the promised Messiah, it's all about me. So yes, Jesus had his disciples then. His disciples included many women at that time. It included Mary and Martha. But in this instance, in Luke chapter 10, it's Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, while her sister Martha is busy. Busy doing what? Busy hosting. Do you know what that's like? Many of you have served as life completers in the church, or you're getting ready to serve as a life completer this fall. You know what it's like to be busy hosting. Even if you've not hosted as part of a life group, if you've had family over for Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, you've had colleagues over, you know what it's like to be busy. Many of us would, would understand that. You've got to get the house ready. You've got to get the, the meals ready. Is everything good and good to go? Have I forgotten anything? Do I need to run to the grocery store last minute and get that last minute item, that, that thing that I forgot? It, it can be a stressful time. It can be even more stressful when you feel as though you're hosting somebody of particular significance. You know, if your boss is coming over for, for dinner, right? Or if your pastor is. No, not at all. Believe me. Not at all, okay? Maybe a mother-in-law or father-in-law. I don't know. You, you fill in the blank. If somebody was like, I really want this to go well. I really want everything to be ready. Martha's kind of operating in that zone. She's a very close friend of Jesus, as is her sister Mary and Lazarus, her brother. But she's also aware of the significance of hosting Jesus in her home. So she's going around and she's very busy. But it's not just being busy. It's a particular type of busyness. In verse 40 we read, But Martha was distracted with much serving. That's interesting language. Martha was distracted with much serving. I think there are kind of two ways to understand this. The first is that she was distracted by serving, that she was distracted by serving. Sometimes we can use serving in itself as a way to try to distract us by or from other things. There's a difference between being distracted by serving and being distracted just kind of with serving in, in that the, the act of serving itself is distracting us. Sometimes we can run to serving to try to distract ourselves. Is that exactly what's going on here in the text? We don't know for certain, but I find the language quite interesting. We read that she was distracted with much serving. Is there something that she was trying to distract herself from? Earlier on in Luke's Gospel, we read about Jesus talking about the cost of following him, and one of the ways that he talks about that is how he speaks about family. He says that anybody who does my will, those are my brothers, those are my sisters, that's my family. He said that in response to some people coming to him and saying, uh, your mother's outside. Maybe Martha heard that and thought, well, that's a bit offensive. Maybe that upset her a little bit. Or also earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus talked about how to follow him. We have to take up our cross and follow him, denying ourselves. That's a tall order. Maybe that didn't sit well with her. I wonder if part of her serving here in Luke chapter 10, was trying to distract yourself with serving to try to avoid something else about Jesus. 
In church life, and, and uh, the reason I wanted to focus on this text this morning is because it's early September now. Uh, in, in most churches uh, in our city and, and in, a, in a wider area, September is like go month. You know, students are back, folks are back from the cottage that we've heard a lot about this morning and from other places that they've been traveling, right? So September is like go, go, go. It can be easy, even for those who are here this morning who are followers of Jesus, it, it can be easy to use serving, even serving in the church, as a way to just try to distract ourselves from other things that Jesus is wanting to say to us. You with me on that? Like, it can be easy to run to good things. I mean, it's interesting here. Luke chapter 10, the, the story before this story about Mary and Martha is the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, isn't, isn't the point, for those of us familiar with the story, isn't the point of the story of the Good Samaritan is loving and serving our neighbor? Like, surely the Bible is saying that serving is good. It is good. Serving is good. But we're not to elevate serving above being with Jesus. And I want to encourage us as a church, as we kind of get things up and running again here at the beginning of September, let's not be distracted by serving in an unhelpful way. Let's not run to serving and service, as good as that is, in a way that actually removes us from sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. We need to be in that place. We need to be in that place first of just being there, of just being with him, of just gazing upon his beauty, of just considering who he is and what he has done for us. Martha asks this question to Jesus. This is, I think this question reveals something of the turmoil that's going on in her heart. Again, we don't know exactly the reason why the Gospel of Luke doesn't give us that. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you care? That, that's, a, that's a big thing to say to Jesus, isn't it? Don't you care? But I love that that's written in here, because I want to ask for a show of hands. If you're here as your, and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, have you ever asked that of Jesus? I know I should have. Jesus, don't, don't you care? What Martha's saying here, Jesus, don't you care that I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm working myself hard in this whole thing? Doesn't that matter to you? Don't you see my efforts? Don't you see my good efforts? Don't you care? Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel that right now, even after, I hope, a few weeks of, of rest and uh, a slower pace through the month of August. Maybe you have felt that way even here in Grace City Church. Maybe you felt that way towards other leaders. Maybe you felt that way towards me. I put so much effort in. I do so much. Don't others that I'm serving with, don't, don't they care? Jesus, don't you care? You need to know, Jesus absolutely does. He absolutely does. He doesn't directly answer the question, that question, but he does answer it in a greater way by cutting to the heart of it. But Martha's not quite done yet. She doesn't only say, don't you care? She then goes on to say, tell her then to help me. <laughs> Jesus, sort my sister out. Go and, go and get her to do the thing that I think she should do. There's, man, there's so much of Martha in me. Is there Martha in you? Sometimes asking that question, Jesus, don't you care? And while I'm asking you, would you go sort out that thing in that other person's life that's really annoying me? Jesus, would you go and do that? Have you ever felt that? <laughs> Again, I won't ask for a show of hands. 
I'm encouraged that these stories are written about in this book because this is so how we can be at times. Saying to Jesus, do you even care? And then saying to Jesus, go sort out that thing in that other person's life that's really bothering me, Jesus. Can you go, go, go and do that? Jesus cuts to the heart of it in how he does answer Martha. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Two words repeated her name. Martha, Martha. What's the other thing that Jesus often says twice in the Gospels? You know what the word is? Truly, truly. When we read that in this culture, what Jesus is saying by that repetition is listen closely to me. Listen closely to me, to what I am about to say. That's what he's doing when he says truly, truly. That's what he's doing when he says Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Friend, Jesus knows your anxieties. He knows your fears. He knows the things that often are robbing you of sleep. He knows the areas of your life where you are either crying out to him or maybe you've given up crying out to him saying, don't you care? He knows. He knows. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. I, if I could go, I mean, I know the names of many in this room, but I would just kind of want to prophesy over you this morning among many and say your name, say it twice. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. This is so refreshing because we exist in a culture where we're very, very rarely, if ever, given one necessary thing. You can go online, you can go into chat, GPT, you can go into Google, steps for self-improvement, you can find magazine articles, all of that. There aren't many lists out there that have a list of one. <laughs> maybe, maybe by definition is then not a list, I suppose. But man, we exist in a culture that loves to give us five steps towards this and step, ten steps towards that. Jesus doesn't do that here. He says one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is Jesus talking about? The good portion. Well, there are a couple things. First off, there's something of a play on words going on here. Remember that Martha is busying herself with hosting, no doubt busying herself with food and preparation of, of a meal. It's big in our culture today. It would have been big in that culture as well when you're welcoming people into your home. So Jesus' reference to a portion is probably something of a play on words there, acknowledging the situation. But it's not only that. It's also a reference to Psalm chapter 16, verse 5, where the psalmist says, The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. What Jesus is saying here is, Martha, your sister Mary, she has chosen the best thing in this house. She has chosen the best thing to focus on, to give herself to, and it's me. It's me. That is the one thing that is necessary. It's Jesus. It's being with Jesus. And what an encouragement Jesus gives, saying, this portion will not be taken away from her. Friends, those of you that serve right now in church life or getting ready to serve this fall, I can't promise you that serving won't be taken away from you. 
I can't promise you that. Okay? I don't know. I, I, I believe good for you as a pastor here. I pray for you. I pray for the life and the health of the church, including those who are part of our church family, of course. But I don't know exactly what your health may entail over the next few months or years. I don't know what relationships will look like. I can't promise you that serving will never be taken from you. But what I can promise you is this. Jesus will never be taken from you. There's nothing that I can do, even if I go completely kind of off the deep end theologically. Maybe some of you think I already am. I don't know. Even if I go into a really dangerous place, I can't take Jesus from you. Nobody else can. What is it that you're giving yourself to? What is it that you're committed to giving yourself to as church is ramping up again if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus? Church, I want to encourage us. Give ourselves to the one that the psalmist says, you are my portion. It's you, the Lord. You are my portion. Hold Jesus above serving. And as we serve, please don't hear this as a sermon where, you know, well, what did you learn today at church? Well, I learned that serving is bad. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that serving is a bad God. That's what I'm saying. Don't hold serving above Jesus. Enjoy being with him. Enjoy the truth of knowing, Jesus, you will never be taken from me. You are my chosen portion. I want to be delighted in you forever. And then serve out of that place. As we prepare to take communion, our worship leaders are going to come back up. And uh, the communion table is over here on the side with the bread. And of course, we have the cup, don't we? And again, in Psalm chapter 16, that's what the psalmist says. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And Jesus, as he's with his disciples the night that he was betrayed, he's having a meal with them. And part of what he does that night, we know, is that he takes the cup. And he says, this cup... It's a new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying, because of my sacrifice on the cross, there's a new way to come to God. It's not by going to the temple. It's not by going and making sacrifices of the temple sacrifices that uh, it's a mysterious thing, but we read about from the Old Testament sacrifices that, that take on the penalty that the people deserve. Jesus is saying there's a new way now. I am that sacrifice. It's through my sacrifice. It's through the shedding of my blood. And that's what this cup represents. This is why when we read in Psalm chapter 16, where the psalmist says, you are my portion. This is why we can look at Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, you are my portion. You are the best portion. You are the one necessary portion. Because of his sacrifice, which is enough to satisfy the just wrath of God towards us as sinners and to welcome us in, not as sinners, but as sons and daughters of God. It's because of Jesus.